0: Going to move into our message today. We're transitioning back, looping back to what we talked about at the very beginning of the year. At the very beginning of the year, if you were with us, we did a a marathon series, I think it was 11, 12, 13 weeks long, somewhere in there, called Make Room. We 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 set out this theme, this direction, this vision for 2023 that we were going to make room for God to do something great. And we didn't know what God had in store. I didn't have any idea what that was going to look like. But it just felt like, hey, this was the direction God is taking our church. We need to start making some room. Uh, and so today, as we wrap up uh, our final non-Christmas message of the year, or actually, actually not, because we will have a, a New Year's Eve message, uh, but my final non-Christmas message of the year, uh, by the way, I'll just give that nugget. Hunter Land is going to be speaking on New Year's Eve, his first message for our church. Uh, <laughs> So, we'll give a little plug, a little teaser. Not going out of town, I will be here, but, but giving him, making room uh, for God to use a new gift and a, and a new voice uh, in a new way, and so I'm really excited to see what God is with that. But if you've got your Bible, grab it, turn to Isaiah 43. Um, I've got to be a little bit quick today, because we've got to leave room for what we're doing at the end of service, uh, as we make this announcement and, and pray over some things. But in Isaiah 43, it says this, it says, but now, this is what the Lord says. says, he who created you, Jacob. Jacob's other name is Israel. So he's speaking to Israel, but he's calling to the people of Israel, but he's calling them Jacob. He who created you, Jacob. He who formed you, Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Now, I believe biblically, we are spiritually Israel. The, the promises to Israel, the things that were spoken to Israel have been applied to the church. The church has been what Romans says we've been grafted in. So, so when you see promises for Israel, they're promises for us. Uh, they're truths for us. So he says, I've called you, I summoned you by name, you are mine. Verse 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, the flames will not set you ablaze now what is happening here in isaiah god's people are about to experience judgment they are about to be carried away from their homeland from jerusalem into captivity this is about to be start with the period of what we call the exile so isaiah is prophesying about god's judgment that is coming for his people. They're going to be gone for 70 years. 70 years of captivity. 70 years of exile. And the exile's really kind of the low point of the Old Testament. It's the most discouraging, most depressing, most difficult season. And yet it's one of my absolute favorite seasons to read about. Because it's in the exile that God does some crazy cool stuff. We see stuff that we just sang about. Daniel and the lion's den. We see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now notice what it just said here in Isaiah. I don't think this is coincidental or accidental at all. As God's people are getting ready to be carried into captivity, God says to them, when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. I don't think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego just stood on a generic general faith that God would be with them. I think they stood on the promise of Isaiah 43 too. When they looked at that fiery furnace, they said, this is it. This is what God was talking about to Isaiah. We can be confident that we will not be burned. Now, the beautiful thing is they said, even if, even if we missed it, even if we're wrong, even if we misinterpreted this, we're not bowing down. We're we're not surrendering. We're not going to lower ourselves to worship anything other than the most high. But they stood on the promise. What God had already spoken, we are not going to be burned. It's in the period of exile that we have the entire story of Esther going before the king and and risking her own life to save the people as a type, a representative of Jesus who would come after her. We see some really cool things in the exile, and one of my favorite uh, books of the Bible is Nehemiah. Nehemiah is when they, they come back, and they're rebuilding the city, rebuilding the walls. Ezra, they come back first, and they rebuild the temple. They build the temple before anything else. So in the exile, what's going to happen is Nebuchadnezzar is going to ransack, the Babylonians are going to ransack Jerusalem, and they're going to destroy the temple. And it was the temple's destruction that was the most difficult for the Jews to to accept, because the temple was where God's presence dwelt. The temple was where they worshipped. It's hard for us to really fathom how significant this was because we we can worship anywhere we don't have to worship here god God doesn't live in this room let me rephrase that god doesn't just live in this room yes god lives in this room but but he doesn't live so much in places now as he lives in people right And, and so the best way that we can even like sort of fathom what they went through is you know COVID hit and we took 13 weeks where we didn't meet in this room. We, we tried to do church online, and it was miserable, and it was awful. And we'll never do it again uh, that way. Uh, it, it was terrible. I hated it. But 13 weeks where we were separated, that seemed like a long time. Because people went through 70 years. That's generations. That's literally the, the vast, vast majority of them never returned, never came home. They died in captivity. Uh, Ezra actually talks about a few of the oldest people who, when they started to rebuild the temple, they wept as the foundations were rebuilt because they remembered. Like from childhood, they remembered. So there was a small fragment who, who had that connection, but the vast majority of them had never seen it. They never, they never experienced it. They didn't even know what it was like. Seventy years is a long time to be in exile. And so here Isaiah is prophesying about this season of exile, about what they're about to experience, about what they're going through. We're going to skip down to verse 14 for the sake of time. He says this. He says, this is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake. Everybody say, for your sake. sake. Even in judgment, even in sending them out, even in punishing his people for violating repeatedly. And this wasn't like one violation of the covenant. God gave them chance after chance after chance after chance, all the way back to the book of Judges, all the way through Second Chronicles when Nebuchadnezzar ransacks Jerusalem in, verse, in chapter 25. Man, he's giving second chance after second chance after third chance after 52nd chance. Finally, God says, okay, you've given me no choice. I've got to get your attention one way or the other. But even in this, he says, for your sake. I will send to Babylon and bring down as fugitives all the Babylonians. So he says, the Babylonians are going to take you over. They're going to take you into captivity, but don't worry. I'm still going to judge them. I'm still going to defend you. I'm still going to cause them to to, to I'm gonna bring destruction to those who hurt my people. He's promising this even at the beginning. He says, and the ships in which they took pride. Verse 15, I am the Lord, your holy one, Israel's creator, your king. This is what the Lord says, he who made a way through the sea, A path through the mighty waters, verse 17, who drove out, or who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and there they lay, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Then he says this, verse 18, I want you to see this. Forget the former things. Everybody say forget. Forget Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. They're about to go in a season where the present, ain't real pretty where the present doesn't just seem to offer a whole lot to be joyful about and as they're heading into that season God says don't get stuck on the glory days don't get stuck reminiscing about the good old days when we were back in Jerusalem and we could worship and travel freely and do all these things he says don't get stuck looking back why because verse 19 he says see I am doing a new thing Even in the judgment, even in the captivity, even in the worst season of Israel's history, God says, I got something for you, baby. I am not done with you. I have not forgotten you. I have not abandoned you. Right around this same time, Jeremiah is going to prophesy, and he's going to say these famous words, right, that, 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 that I might have plans for you, plans to prosper you, and plans not to harm you, plans to give you hope, plans to give you a future. Why? Because I'm doing a new thing. He says, now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. This is a, usually like a New Year's passage, right? We're making resolutions. We're believing God for something new. I believe God can do new things even in an old year. God can do new things even in an old person, right? It doesn't have to be new things in new people. It doesn't have to be new. This is new things in old Israel. Israel has been around for a while. Jerusalem has been around for a while. The Jews have been around for a while. But God had a new thing for his people. He was not done for them yet. So what I'll talk to you about today is I want to challenge you to make room for something new. Make room for something new. I want to challenge you and encourage you to consider the possibility that God ain't done with you yet. To consider the possibility that God is not content with the place that you are right now. Not that he's not celebrating the progress. Not that he's not proud of the growth. Not that he's forgotten who you used to be and he can't see who you've grown to be, man. He's celebrating it, but I don't think he's done yet. Thank you, Lord. I want to encourage you to make room for something new last week. For the first time in our church's history... We had a Kid City worship night. You know how we had a Kid City worship night last week? Because early on in this year, God started stirring a new thing in someone's heart. And Anna Lisa Harrison came forward and she said, what, what if we started doing worship for Kid City? I don't think she started with the vision of a Kid City worship night. She said, man, I I feel like God is leading me to do some worship for Kids City. You know what she did? She created a brand new position. She created a brand new ministry that we've never had in the history of our church for somebody to step up and say, yeah, we can honor that. And I know she hates me right now for talking about this, but I did get get her permission. uh, So she could be mad at herself. Uh, But... What is that? God birthed a new thing. That wasn't me as the holy visionary of the church who came to our kids' City directors and said, hey, we need to have kids' City worship. It didn't come to me. It came to Lisa. God deposited a dream, an idea, in her heart, and I'm sure she didn't know what it was going to look like, and she probably didn't know how hard it was going to be, or, or what a struggle it's going to be to get 33 kids to pay attention and do some motions and worship Jesus. And I know, I know, it wasn't just all harps playing and angels singing last Sunday night back there. Okay, <laughs> it was some chaos. It, it was some disrespect. It was some... Ki- it was the first time. It's starting something. It's some soil that's that's being tilled in these kids' hearts. And it may not connect the first time. I promise it didn't in the 662. I promise it didn't in the city church. So why would it happen the first time in Kid City? But I promise you, there's something taking root. God is doing a new thing. He's birthing something. It didn't come out of something that I said. It didn't come out of something that our staff brainstormed out. This was simply the Holy Spirit speaking to somebody in our church who was bold enough, courageous enough, daring enough to say, hey, what if? What if? See, I think so often when God does a new thing, it just starts with what if? What if if we tried this? What if I didn't? Man, it might be terrible. This might not be God at all, but what if we just stepped out and tried something new? You see, I think we serve a God of new things. Yes. Here's what I love about what God's doing in our church right now, not just in Anna Lisa, but in others. I could look around, and if I had time, I could talk about numerous different stories of people who didn't just get saved last week, who God's doing something new in. You see, so often in our Christian faith, so much of what happens is is really early. It's in that baby Christian phase, and we're hungry, and we're receptive, and we're going to do whatever God calls us to do, and we see this explosive growth in people who first come to Christ, and then we get Christianized. Then we get civilized, we kind of just settle right here. It's like, man, 30 years I've been right at this same place in my walk with God, Man, but 32 years ago, let me tell you what God did. Let me tell you how God saved me. Let me tell you what God did in my life. And praise God for what he did 32 years ago. But you're still breathing oxygen. If I'm not dead, he's not done. Right? He wants to do a new thing. So I want to challenge you that maybe he wants to do something new in you. Now, maybe for all of us, that new thing is not going to be a new idea that is just given to us or right? a new calling specifically on us. Maybe for some of us, it's participating in something new God's going to do. Maybe for some of us, it's going to be, man, leaning into a relationship with him in a new way and, and scratching off that, that, shaking off that rust and saying, okay, I'm going to pursue God in a new way. I'm going to experience God in a new way. I'm going to worship God in a new way. Like it's not always going to be a new ministry, but I believe God's got something new for each of us. We got to make room for something new. So, so real, real quick, I want to give you four truths that we got to grab hold of. We got to apprehend about making room for something new. The first one is this: God's new things are often uncomfortable. God's new things are often uncomfortable. In fact, I would say, not often is probably understatement. You could probably say God's new things are always uncomfortable. You remember the first time you lifted your hands to worship? I do. It's uncomfortable. What do I do with these things? Did I did I put on enough deodorant? Right, like, (laughs) what what am I doing? It's uncomfortable first time that that I danced in worship it was uncomfortable and moved my body because I'm very white right and then that's not comfortable it's not natural it's not easy for me so God's new things are often uncomfortable the first time that I stood on a stage and spoke to people man my face turned bright red like I mean I'm talking about like Spencer's shirt red uh Now I turn red just because, you know, I'm not in great shape, and it's hot, and I sweat, but, but not because I'm embarrassed, not because not I'm afraid of the people. Uh, it's a different kind of red. Uh, new things are often uncomfortable, usually uncomfortable. The first time you fasted, how long did you make it, two hours? I made, I made it two and a half days on my first Daniel fast, ended it in tears. Now I do a 21-day Daniel fast. Every year, every year, I, I was talking to a couple of people about the Daniel fast this year, or this week, talking about the, the fast coming up in January, and, and what I told them is this, I said, I'm so excited for the Daniel fast, because we're at a better place as a church spiritually going into the fast than we've ever been. We're always in a good place coming out of the fast, but what happens when we go into the fast in a good place? What happens when we don't gotta spend 21 days getting rid of all the junk and fixing all the stuff and we're already somewhere? What can God do through that? I'm ready to find out. God's new things are often uncomfortable. If you missed last week, Pastor Keith Kirkwood came in and shared such an awesome message about transitioning to destiny. And I love his heart and Miss Gladys's heart. And he, he said a lot of really cool things. One thing he said this is he said, You can't drink grapes. You can't drink grapes. In other words, if there's going to be wine, the grapes got to be crushed. God's people going into exile was crushing. It was devastating. It was awful for them, but it was in this devastating season, in this difficult season, in this season that none of them would have signed up for. None of them would have chosen. None of them would have volunteered and said, yeah, let's do this, that God did a new thing in them, that God birthed so much in his people, that God gave so much messianic prophecy to tell us about the Savior who was to come. God did incredible things in the difficult, uncomfortable season. And so we're just going to have to accept the fact if we're going to do something new, if we're going to experience something from God that we haven't experienced yet, it's not always going to be comfortable. In fact, most of the times it won't be. second truth we got to apprehend and grab hold of is God does new things for my good and for his glory. Why does God want to do something new in you? Because he's got something for you. He wants to use you to bring glory to his son. Look again at Isaiah 43, verse 14. It says, this is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake. For your sake. Annalisa, I don't know what God's doing in you, but I know he's for you. I know he's called you to this season for something, not just for those kids, and not just for God's glory, and not just for Kid City, and not just for Justin and Megan. He's got something for you in this. I promise he does. And I can't wait to see when you get on the back end of it and you can say, hey, here's how I grew. Here's what I learned. Here's what God showed me. Here's what God did in me. I bet you've already got examples of that. But I promise there's more to come because God does new things for my good and his glory. Number, let's go, go ahead and skip down to number three for me just for time's sake. We're going to keep moving. Number three is this. Um, get down here. You can't take hold of the new while holding on to the past. You can't take hold of the new and hold on to the past. I think one of the hardest things about new things is letting go of old things. It's not easy. I'm a sentimental old dude. I love the past. I love what God's done and in January next year, we're going to celebrate 20 years, and we're going to celebrate what God has done in our church as we do our anniversary. We're going to celebrate what God has done in the past. It doesn't mean you can't celebrate the past. It doesn't mean you have to completely forget about it and act like it never happened, but you can't hold on to it. In order to go where God wants to take you, you're going to have to let go of some things that God has already taken you, and that hurts, that's difficult, that's challenging, and uncomfortable. Weeks ago in, in our Make Room theme dwindle shared this illustration that I thought was so brilliant he was talking about how much he loves leftovers but sometimes you got to go in the fridge and get rid of the leftovers to make room for the new groceries we started doing that this week we we got Thanksgiving coming up right we're doing Thanksgiving at our house this year my my dad and my sister are coming hopefully I say hopefully because they change plans frequently so we'll see uh (laughs) The hope, the prayer, the belief is that we will have some some family in town for Thanksgiving this year. If not, we're really going to need some more extra room in the fridge because we're going to buy stuff like we got people coming. We've got to get rid of some old leftovers to make room for some new stuff, right? Like that's just part of the process. We get it on that level. Sometimes God has to move us into something new by removing something old. And that old stuff that he removes, I'm I'm not good at that. I don't like the old stuff leaving. I enjoyed the old stuff. I enjoyed the old friendships. I enjoyed the old relationships. I enjoyed the old season. I was grateful for the old season, and I'm still grateful for the old season. But I want what God has for me today, not just what he had for me yesterday. I want what he has for me tomorrow, not just what he had for me last week. And the only way I can grab hold of the new thing he has is by trusting him enough to release the old thing when he tells me to. Sometimes we just got to let go. Isaiah 43 puts it this way. Verse 18. I don't love this verse, but it says this. It says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. When he says forget, I don't think he means literally like you don't have any more recollection and memory of it. He's just saying it can't have that place in your heart anymore. It can't have that place of significance where that's the most important thing. If you're going to go where I'm taking you, you're going to have to trust me that I've got a new season, a better season, a greater season. And that's going to mean there's a season of release from the old stuff. So he says forget the past. Don't dwell on it. Don't dwell on those former things. Let them go. I can be guilty of dwelling on the past. And yet I look around, and my God is doing a new thing. My God is doing something. And I'm grateful for what he is doing today. And I'm hopeful that he's got something even better tomorrow because that's who he is. And that's how he works. And that's how he rolls. And so let's be ready. Number four. God is always birthing something new, always birthing something new, even in captivity, even in exile, even in judgment, even in punishment, even in the season where it seems like God has rejected them and turned against them and given up on them. Even in that season, God was birthing something new. I don't think we're in a season of judgment. I don't think we're in a season of captivity. I'm grateful for that. I think we're in a good season. So if God has something new for them, even in judgment and captivity, how much more does God have something new for us in a good season? In a season where he's already popping some things off and making some things happen. And we're seeing God move in great ways. He's always birthing something new. Verse 19 says it famously. It says, see the other translations. Many of them say, behold. I like the behold there. I won't say behold in my daily conversation, but it preaches. Right? (laughs) Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive? It is happening. If you don't perceive it, if you don't sense it yet, if you haven't realized it yet, God is saying, open your eyes. Take a look around. I got something for you. I'm doing something right now. Don't you see it? Behold. Behold. What an awesome truth that God has for us. He is always birthing Something new. I want to share with you a few more passages of scripture. If you'll jump to the book of Haggai, I don't know if I've ever preached out of Haggai. I want to preach out of Haggai for maybe the first time. Haggai chapter 2, this is in exile. This is God speaking to a prophet and through a prophet as they're actually getting ready to go back to Jerusalem and begin to rebuild. This is what the Lord Almighty says In a little while, every say in a little, while. a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth. The sea and the dry land. If I would have known what I was doing, this would have popped into our unshakable series. We would have already preached Haggai, but but we're a little late, but we're getting there. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the dry land. Why did God shake things so that what is unshakable will remain? That unshakable faith. He says, I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will. Everybody say, I will. I will. I will fill this house with glory. What's he talking about? He's talking about the temple that's about to be rebuilt. The temple had been torn down, it had been ransacked, it had been destroyed, and they're about to rebuild the temple. And God prophesies through Haggai that this temple, this broken temple, this temple that, that once had incredible glory and now has suffered horrible shame, that I will fill this house with glory he's telling them this is not the second-rate temple this is not just the man the replacement temple is the best that we could do I got a plan for this temple I'm gonna fill this temple with glory don't you think that what I did before is greater than what I'm about to do dude I did before it was awesome it was incredible I showed great things but I'm not tapped out I'm not out of ideas I'm not out of power I'm gonna fill it with my glory Look at at verse 8. How have I never preached this for offering? He says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine declares the Lord. They didn't know how they were going to find enough resources to put the temple back together. The, temp- the first temple was glorious. It was spectacular. It was filled with precious metals. He said, quit stressing about that. I got the silver and I got the gold. I got this taken care of. It is all in my resource, in my power. He said, I made the silver and I made the gold. And you think I don't have enough for my house? You don't think I have enough for my people? You don't know me. If you think I don't have enough to rebuild my temple, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, in this new temple, in this new season, in this new thing, I will bring peace, declares the Lord Almighty. I need about half of y'all to come back for second service, <laughs> all right? So, for real, new thing, what's a practical new thing? I need about five families to commit. We're going to start attending second service because we have maxed out first service. and We have not maxed out second service. We can't just go out a third one because we need to fill up second service. So, so, so God's going to move on some of your hearts to do something uncomfortable and start just changing up your schedule, <laughs> okay? We're going to get, we, I'm, I'm going to just be on the toes today. Uh, that was going to come later, but she said that and it just opened the door. So <laughs> just be ready. Just, just be open. If God, if, the, if that's the new season, if that's the new thing, that might not seem like that big of a deal. But I promise it would be a huge asset to our, to our church, to, to, to our, our second service, to those who do faithfully come to second service. It would energize them, man, to have more people coming with them and worshiping with them and bringing the the, the energy that y'all bring. It would do so much for them. Come on. Amen. I want to show you super fast this prophecy being fulfilled. He says the the, the glory of the present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. It doesn't seem possible. They don't have the resources. They don't have the power. They're not even in control. They're, They're now under the authorization of a pagan king to go rebuild this temple. It doesn't make sense that how could this temple be greater than that temple when we had everything, when we were in control, when, when you ruled and reigned, how could it be possible? I want to show you how it happens. 2 Chronicles 5, let's go see the glory of the first temple first. So what are we comparing to? 2 Chronicles chapter 5, as they dedicate the temple, it says this. It says, the trumpeters and musicians joined in unison to give a praise and thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, the singers raised their voices and praised to the Lord, and they sang this, he is good, his love endures forever, over and over, God is good, his love endures forever, he is good, the love endures, his love endures forever, then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud, the word cloud is the glory, it's the physical presence of God, verse 14, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. So they dedicate the temple, and God shows up right? His presence actually goes to dwell in the holy of holies. It goes behind the veil, behind the curtain. God affirms what they've done. He affirms their worship. What do you say? I inhabit the praises of my people. They praise. God shows up, and he inhabits the temple, and his presence is so thick. The cloud of his presence, the glory of his presence is so thick that they couldn't even move, they couldn't even do what they were trained to do, what they were taught to do, because God's presence was so strong. Have you ever encountered the presence of God so much that it, it physically affected you, that you could literally feel it? Now, we don't define God by a feeling. He's there even when we don't feel him. But, man, I praise God when the feelings show up. I'm grateful when the feelings are there. The priests encountered the presence of God to such a degree they couldn't even move. That's the glory of the first temple. Now, you can read a whole lot more in the Old Testament about what God did at that temple and the sacrifices that were made at that temple and the way God used that temple for his glory. But there was great glory in the first temple. Now, let's look at the glory of the next temple. Go back to Haggai Chapter 2, it says the glory of the present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. What's he talking about? Well, you know what happens in this new temple that they're rebuilding? Not immediately. It's going to be a few hundred years before it happens. <laughs> but There's going to be a baby on the 40th day of his life who's brought to the temple for Dedication. And that baby's name was Yeshua, Jesus. It means he saves. You see, there was a glory of the presence of God that came to the first temple. But there was a physical manifestation of God himself who came to the second temple. Didn't stop there when he was 12 years old. He comes back to the temple and he starts teaching the priests. He starts teaching those who minister there, those who've been trained their whole lives and educated and pouring out to them. He comes back later on. The the book of Luke tells us, I think it's chapter 21. It says that he ministered in the temple every day. He taught in the temple every day at age 33 that Jesus, that Messiah, is going to die on a cross. And when he dies on the cross, the veil in the second temple is the veil that is ripped from top to bottom to tell the world You don't have to go to the temple no more. You don't have to worship and hope that you can be qualified to go behind the veil once a year as the high priest. Now the presence of God is here. He is for you. He is with you. It happened at the second temple. The glory of the second temple truly was greater than the first. These weren't empty words. This wasn't just an encouragement to hype up a crowd, to get them fired up. Man, this was not a motivational speech. This was not Tony Robbins. This was God speaking through his spirit, through his people to tell them, I'm not done yet. I got something better coming. Y'all made me preach better for real. Come back to second service. Help me out. All right, we're going to park it right there. I got more but but I've already gone too long.